Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. We are already at week 10 of the college football season. It is hard to believe that. We'll be joined today by Matt Fortuna from the Athletic National College Football Writer. What we won't be doing today on this episode is talking about the college football playoff rankings. We are recording this before the rankings come out. There will be plenty of time to deal with them later. We get into a little CFP talk while looking ahead towards this weekend's big games, which include two monster showdowns in the SEC. But before we get into all of that with Matt, we have news to talk about. Auburn has finally done the deed and fired Brian Harson. What's next there? The Big 12 has a new TV contract. What does that mean for that conference and the Pac-12 and maybe even the future of realignment? We also talk a little about Penn State. It's at Happy Valley last weekend, and the Nittany Lions are a program stuck in a strange sort of purgatory right now. Matt went to Penn State, so he is very familiar with Penn State, so I figured he would be a good guy to talk about it with. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, please send questions and or comments. aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. aptop25mailbag, the digits 25 at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the show, Matt Fortuna from The Athletic, National College Football Writer. Matt, there's a lot going on. There's a bunch of news. I mean, we have like this monster weekend coming up in the SEC with these two enormous games. But before we can get to that, we have some news to attend to, including, is it news if you know it's coming? Because we've all known <laughs> Auburn was going to fire Brian Harson for months for months literally since since february we kind of knew this was coming but now it's actually happened um so i guess again is it news if we know it's going to happen matt um because it's auburn they find a way to do things a little bit differently for lack of a better term so in, in that regard i'd say it's news um like i think we all thought hey the minute they get a new ad in there then brian harson's fate will officially be decided uh, they didn't even wait for the ink to dry on John Cohen's contract before putting out the statement on a Monday afternoon that didn't even mention Brian Harson by name, which it was only one paragraph long. Like everything about uh, the Brian Harson era has just kind of marched to the beat of its own drum. And look, I, I, I would term this less a firing uh, than it is simply a putting putting someone out of his own misery. Like I think Brian Harson's a good coach. I will not be surprised at all if he's a head coach somewhere, maybe even at the power five level next year. Um, I I think his services will be wanted somewhere, but it was a terrible fit from the start. Uh, The product on the field was not great, short of a strong three and a half quarters against Alabama last year. Uh, The recruiting has been terrible. Uh, The the internal behind the scenes drama just gets worse and worse. It, It seemed doomed to fail from the start. And sure enough, Auburn finds itself in a position now where within less than a two-year span, Ralph, they're paying Gus Malzahn uh, $21 million plus to go away, plus his staff. Uh, and in this case, I think $15 million plus to Brian Harson uh, with $7.5 million due within 30 days. So yeah. that, that's about $37 million, give or take. Again, not including all the assistance and their buyout packages. 
And at least in the head coaches cases here, I don't believe any of these are offsetting. I think Gus Malzahn is still collecting money from Auburn yeah. while being employed by UCF. So Which good is- on their agents, bad on Auburn. Uh, but that's kind of Auburn in a nutshell for you. So just a little bit of a, of an autopsy on this, because I was thinking, like, who's to blame here? Who's to blame here? <laughs> um, and it, I guess it's easy to say, like, well, maybe Alan Green is to blame. He was the one who essentially made the hire, and he and the president at the time, which is now former president, because, again, things have changed a lot at Auburn. Things change a lot at Auburn. But, but, like, I'm not even sure if that's fair because the fact of the matter is, you know, I think part of the reason why they were boxed into hiring Brian Harson after Brent Venables and Billy Napier, you know, again, it's always a little semantics, like they turn the job sure. down, you know, so I, I'm a little, I, I'm always a little apprehensive to sort of use those words because that, that gets played differently depending on what side of the fence you're on on these, on these conversations. Right. But, Part of the reason why I think they they were sort of led to a guy like Harson is because of the coup that was attempted in trying to install Kevin Steele as coach. So I think it made other other candidates go, hmm, I don't know if I want that right now. I don't know if I want to deal with that right now. So again, like I'm not sure if we necessarily need to assess blame, but there's plenty of it to go around and how we got here. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, this was our, our friend Ross Dellinger um, on Yahoo's podcast, I think after Alan Green got, got ousted earlier this year, related anecdote of, of, I think Ross, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he had spoken to someone, a coach who had interviewed for that job. And essentially what that coach told him was he interviewed with Alan Green first, the, the athletic director at the time, went well. Then he interviewed with some board members and he went into that meeting saying, hey, guys, I just met with Alan. I liked him a lot. And someone, one of the board members said to this coaching candidate, um, that's great, but he's not going to be here that much longer. Yeah, yeah, and the coach pulled himself out of, of the running shortly after that. I don't know who that is, but I can tell you this. Uh, there were people at Clemson who were convinced Brent Venables was out the door mm-hmm. um, from Clemson for Auburn um, more than a year ago. Obviously, things worked out pretty well for, for Brent Venables in that regard. I'm not sure what the ultimate um, fallout was with him not going to Auburn, but he ended up getting what will eventually be an SEC job and a bigger SEC job, in my yeah, opinion. Getting a be- maybe a better job. I mean, just more because of, one, just because of sure. stability. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens so, going in the SEC if that shakes up some of that stability. But yeah, as of right now, definitely, definitely. But it just speaks to just the the. I mean, there's like every every power program is is unique in its own own regard i am very aware of that uh, but but auburn is a particularly unique breed and, and i put this in my my column today but maybe my favorite stat in all of college football and one that still holds true i keep waiting for it to, to change and it hasn't auburn has not posted consecutive seasons of 10 or more wins since 1988-89 and yet since then they've had three undefeated seasons and an additional bcs title game appearance won a that national is, championship and, and one like that is insane yeah. How you can ebb and flow like that from so high to so low. Yeah. Like, they, they, like they are just allergic to consistency there. Yeah. And look, I'm not going to sit here and, and stop my foot and say it was wrong to get rid of Gus Malzahn. Certainly the, the financials that, that came into it, the timing and, and, you know, the extensions, everything that came before that. Yeah, that, that was all poorly handled. But, but like if they wanted to move on from Gus Malzahn, if they thought he had taken them as far as he could go and they needed fresh voice in there, I get that. The guy did beat Nick Saban three times. I think he was, what, three and five? Like, that will be a record that ages better and better. Because outside of Dabo Sweeney, I don't know anyone who who can match up to Nick Saban like that. And maybe 
and again, we're talking about Auburn here, so this probably won't hold true, but you look at who they could possibly get. You look at what mainstream coaches right now are getting in terms of length of their deals, right? You're seeing 10-year contracts get thrown around left and right here. In theory, if Auburn wanted to go get a big fish like Lane Kiffin and give him a 10-year contract, um, Nick Saban turned 71 years old yesterday. I think it's fair, again, in most schools' minds, most rational schools' minds that have their stuff together to say, you know what, if I have my guy here for the next 10 years, at some point the king is going to retire. And Alabama is not going to be operating at the level it is with Nick Saban. Uh, but but because this is Auburn, the idea of anyone being there for 10 years is something I just cannot wrap my mind around right now, even if it seems like they have taken the appropriate steps to start to get their stuff together. And I will add this. Um, I think Tennessee at this time two years ago was in a much worse place than Auburn is That's right true. now. That's true. And look and where as they we've are. Seen, there are some places where you have the money, you have the facilities, you have the fan support, win or lose. That if you just get the right guy there, and maybe in Tennessee's case, just get the wrong leadership out of there, and they quit screwing it up, you can win and win big really quickly. So as much of a mess as this is, as much as I agree with everything you said about how some elite coaches would probably be turned off by the situation there right now, um, you can win and win big there. Yeah, these things can flip very quickly at places that are – that have winning in their DNA. Auburn also has chaos in its DNA, but they they have winning in their DNA. And, and when I say that, I also mean right just what you said: facilities, access to players, all those things. Like it's you're you're capable of winning there quickly. Tennessee is showing that almost to, I'm sure the detriment right of other coaches because right. people will now look at what Josh Heupel has done and listen. I don't think anybody saw this coming when they hired Josh Heupel. I think that there was a lot of shrugs and like, okay, yeah, we'll see. It seems like a safe hire. Um, In January, by the way, like they couldn't get many people at that point. Right, right. Even if they wanted them. I mean, they they took some big swings and ended up with Josh Heupel. And and God, what's the contract he's going to get after this season? Especially if he beats Georgia this weekend. But even if he doesn't beat Georgia this weekend and they go 11-1 and and whatever happens, I mean, you know, again, it speaks to the craziness of this business. Josh Heupel deserves a ton of credit for what he's done this year. He's probably going to be national coach of the year, regardless of what happens this weekend in Georgia, or he has got a damn good chance of winning national coach of the year. But I hate to just fast forward, but we're going to fast forward to a world in which Josh Heupel is going to get like an eight year, maybe a 10 year, because that's the going rate, especially Mm -hmm. if he were to get in the playoff and maybe win a playoff game. He's going to go from a guy who people shrugged. Okay, we'll see. In fact, UCF fans were kind of like, yeah, we're right. not going to miss him. To he'll, He's going to end up with an 8 to 10 year contract worth, you know, 80 to 100 million dollars in the course of about two years. And, and I, it's hard to say he wouldn't deserve it because that's the going rate. Right. Even though it's bananas to think that maybe, like, you know, you could also play out a scenario here with Heupel where, hey, man, maybe he just got a little lucky with Hendon Hooker. I mean, look at what Kenneth Walker did for Mel Tucker. Like, or Ed O'Dron with Joe Burrow, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, we're skipping around to Heupel there, but let, let me let me refocus back to Auburn here for a second because just the what's next thing, right? I mean, obviously – All the obvious names are out there. I personally think Kiffin would be the perfect fit. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if Kiffin wants to – maybe Kiffin looks at Auburn and says, I got a pretty good 
at in Oxford, they're not as crazy here. I don't necessarily need to beat Sabin one out of every three years. It's just another small town, right? Like, what's you know, maybe if you're kiffing your thing, what's I mean, I'm a little closer to Boca when I need to get out of there, um, but I'm a little farther away from California when I need to get out there because he does a little bit of that too. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of interesting names. I don't know if there's anybody a little off the radar other than the obvious names that maybe have come to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, I think the three big names, right, are Lane, Dion, and Hugh Freeze. Um, I think anyone who's written or spoken about this opening even before it opened would point to those three as kind of the three premier main obvious choices. Uh, if those three didn't work out, I, I could see a guy like Bill Clark getting into the mix. Mm. You know, I, I think we all forgot about this guy. He single-handedly built and rebuilt yeah. UAB program. And, and he does want to, I know he retired or he stepped away because of a back issue, but everything I've been hearing, I'm sure hearing the same thing is that like, yeah, he'd like to get back into right. it. Yeah. Right. And, and, Look, I mean, you look at, like, the body of work, it's hard to compare anyone to him, right? I know it was on a smaller level, but he did something that few people in the history of the sport have ever been able to do. Now, Auburn probably wants a a flashier name, a sexier hire, and the three we mentioned before that obviously fit the bill. All three have obvious downsides. I think Kiffin's downsides are are, uh, less than the other two. Um, And I'm with you. Like, it's not simple because it's never simple in the SEC, in particular with Auburn. If you can get Lane Kiffin, I think this is a home run hire for Auburn. I mean, he runs a a great, easy-on-the-eyes offense that will attract recruits. Uh, he will bring a ton of buzz to your program. He is not afraid to go after Nick Saban, as we all know, and that will just make uh, the rivalry within that state that much crazier than it already is. And, and the, the key thing for me, as we talk about college football in, in the year 2022, he's become the, the transfer portal king. Uh, as, as we look at these coaches that are succeeding early on, earlier than usual, I mean, look at Lincoln Riley at USC, right? Um, they are rebuilding their programs on the fly through the portal. No one has done that, maybe Lincoln Riley, but no one this side of Lincoln Riley has done that better than Lane Kiffin. And when you look at the situation in Auburn, if you're looking at a traditional like three to five year rebuild, which no one will look at it that way internally, but that's the reality of the situation for the most part. Auburn's recruiting class right now is 55th nationally. That is dead last in the SEC. That was the ultimate undoing from a football standpoint of Brian Hartson. He just did not have the recruiting chops to to go after and compete with the Kirby Smarts, Nick Sabans, Josh Heupel's, Jimbo Fishers, et cetera, of the world. Lane Kiffin does, and he also knows how to get old quick and how to retool your roster on the fly, which is, I think, exactly what Auburn is looking for in this moment. So, Look, I, I mentioned that stat earlier about Auburn not winning back-to-back, uh, not, yeah, not winning seasons. 10 games of back-to-back yeah. seasons since 88-89. Lane Kiffin's probably going to do that this year. He did it last year. He's 8-1 right now. He's got Alabama next. Let's chalk that up as a loss, even though I think, who knows, coming out of a bye at home, that, that could be a good game. Uh, then he's at Arkansas and, and has the Egg Bowl, which is a rivalry game and anything can happen. But I, I think it's more likely than not Ole Miss finishes 2-1 and one down the stretch. And even if they don't, they could still get that 10th win with the ball, which Auburn still hasn't done uh, when we're talking about back-to-back 10-win season. So um, everything you said is true, right? Like, he can easily look at this and say, like, it's not that much bigger of a town. It's in the same division. I've got a good thing going here. Why would I give it up? Perfectly sound logic. I'm not Lane Kiffin. I don't know how his mind works, although he he certainly gives us a lot of public clues as to how it might work. Um, And and I I would – 
venture to guess that uh, pending negotiations and, and contracts and, and relationships, like that situation is just too much for that personality to resist. I, I, I have a hard time I, I seeing him as we know him saying no to the opportunity to basically be to win a national championship yeah and to win a national championship which have you you're not you're probably not going to do it Ole Miss you know right. the interesting thing and again I hate to bring this keeping this back to Tennessee but they're all, obviously they're a big story these days um as bad as things were for Jeremy Pruitt under Jeremy Pruitt we're seeing now that he left some players behind they did recruit okay for a couple of years there now they a bunch of them jumped in the transfer portal and I only bring that up to say like I think the job at the immediate job at Auburn will be tougher like I, I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of a, a stray five-star tackle oh hey you're just right. laying here you know like there's some players on that Tennessee roster that were pretty highly thought after recruits that Heupel could then, you know, put in a good system and get the most out of. Like that Auburn roster, a lot of the best players are are out of there this year because they were Gus's players. So you're really going to have to portal it up to have any chance to be remotely competitive, I would think, for the next couple of years. Well, I, I, I think there are two, uh, two follow-ups to that. One, the way Jeremy Pruitt got those players um, sure. and the way Tennessee was able to blame him <laughs> For the way he got those players, sure, like they kept this situation from devolving into something much worse. It doesn't seem like they're going to be hit all that hard. Um, the second part of that, I go back to what I said earlier. The transfer portal, I think, is a game changer for for first and second year college football coaches right now. And uh, I made my timeline maybe off of this, but I think Heupel got Hunted Hooker from Virginia Tech. Uh, after he got he, there, he may have already been there. I'm not. No, I, no, I'm no. Uh, Heupel actually didn't. That's you know that's an interesting one. Hooker was not Heupel's guy. Joe Milton was Heupel's. Well, no, guy. I remember that. Yeah. Well, Heupel was uh, Heupel. Uh, Hooker was the backup to Milton. I remember that. But. Right. And but I'm saying Hooker arrived under Pruitt. Heupel okay, thought, okay. oh, I, I think I might need another guy because I'm right. not familiar with this guy. So, yeah, I mean, again, like I'm don't, not trying to undercut Josh Heupel here, but like there was some magic going on at Tennessee. Um, and we'll see what happens with Auburn. Yeah, you know, I, I got to steer at the Dion for a second here. There's a lot of different ways we can go with the Dion conversation. Sure. There's a serious conversation about. So now a SWAC coach is going to be able to get a big job. You know, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other SWAC coaches who have done a very good job, you know, mm-hmm. and HBCU coaches who have done a very good job who are going to be sitting back going like, oh, okay, you got to be Dion to get a job out of this league. That's interesting. Um, he will definitely recruit big time. Um, but there's still, I mean, we were talking about Bill Clark, right, and this idea that, like, wow, that's a big jump, UAB, right. to even though he did an amazing job at UAB, it's a very different type of job to do it at the, in the SEC at Auburn. I, like, I, I would love to see it because I think it would be fascinating. So just from a pure, like, let's see how this works, yeah, do that. But I just also know, like, the this the pressure – or, or the 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 way these ads now look at it, to think that a guy could go from Jackson State to 
Um, the SEC to Auburn almost seems unheard of, but Dion is a unique candidate. So there's a lot going on with Dion. But the, the fact that he's even being brought up in these conversations is a little stunning to me, considering, again, not the not who he is, but where he's coming from. I'm not surprised his name has been talked about so much with Auburn. I was surprised it was talked so much about with Georgia Tech just because um, Georgia Tech just has so much red tape and, and so many other academic hurdles. And, and we didn't even get into the fact that Dion ran a failed academy right. in a previous life that would scare off a, a school that like Georgia Tech that's more academically inclined than, than some others. But yeah, I mean, it, there are a lot of great unknowns, right? I mean, those athletic commercials would be even better with Nick Saban. That's for sure. Um, I think me and you have both talked over the years to ADs who have spoken to Dion and, and came away pleasantly surprised right like that there it's not all flash it's not all coach prime like there is a plan there um there is a a level of, of seriousness that, that may not always come off to the general public can, can i can i interject something here i did I, did you think it was notable that that arc that there was a report that Auburn went after Hunter Juracek, and if there's the the most public endorser of of Dion right. of the people who have talked to him, like he's the one who will put it out there. Like he was super impressed with well, Dion. And, and not only that, it's a good point. I mean, what John Cohen has to have a lot of intel on this guy just being in the same state, right? I would think. I mean, I don't know that, but there's no way in that state with with two football not powers, but the football programs, um, they haven't crossed paths and they haven't become familiar with each other in some way, shape or form. So, so, years, so. so when I was uh, doing a little tour of the SEC in the spring, I, my day at in Starkville catching up with Leach, Dion was there because his, his offensive coordinator came off of Leach's staff, um, Bartolone, Bartolone. Um, and I don't, I know Cohen, I don't think Cohen knew John Cohen had a relationship with Dion, but I also know he talked to him that day. He went over and said hello to him. Now, again, this is all I'm not I'm not trying to put the pieces right. together like some kind of conspiracy here. But I, I, I also think it was notable that, like, apparently he like Dion and Leach get along pretty well, which I, I would love to hear those conversations. Um that throw, throw, lane, throw lane in there and, and the yeah, it, that it, state is just incredible. Yeah, it's the most interesting state in the country when it comes to just personalities. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, you'd think that, like, Cohen would probably have some good intel on Dion. You, you would think. And, and, look, I mean, there are just so many unknowns, right? I, I get why his name's out there. I mean, um, he's a big name. He'll fill the seats. He'll create a lot of buzz in a state where you'd be going up against the greatest college football coach of all time. Um, he's recruited his, 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 I don't know if we can swear here, but he's yep. recruited his behind off. Yeah, you can uh, say it. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, he's, he's, he's two, been, two top 50 players at Jackson State, including incredible. the number he, one player in the country on some boards. And he's one very big there. Yeah, and that's the I'm, other I thing, mean, too. He is, you know, for, for all the, you know, for all the flash, for all the, the eye rolls that he generates, anytime he's been pressed on this issue, particularly last week on game day, like, He's been very impressive. He's been very yes. um, transparent. I heard him in another interview. I, I, apologies to whoever got this answer out of him because I don't remember who it was. But a couple of weeks ago, he said something to the effect of like, you know, a power five job is not going to change my life financially, but it sure as hell will for, for my entire staff. And I owe it to them to explore that opportunity if it were to come my way. When you sit uh, down with him and I got a chance to do this spring, you come away very impressed with the idea that, oh, he's got a pretty good idea of what 
like this game is about. He this, this is not something he is going about sort of like I'm Dion and I deserve right. it, right? And that's a great unknown, right? Like when you talk about uh dysfunction and too many cooks in the kitchen, we're talking about Auburn football, right? Like the, you don't know who's in charge, mm. you don't know what they want from you. And I could see that going either way with a guy like Deion Sanders, right? Either he charms the hell out of them and they give him keys of the kingdom, or you go from Jackson State to Auburn, uh, where you probably don't have a whole lot of bosses or oversight at Jackson State, at least relative to, to a big program. And you go to Auburn and you've got 20 people in here telling you, you got to hire this guy or we're going to fire you or you got to do this, or you got to do that. And he doesn't know how to handle it. I don't know. It could be one or the other on either end of the extreme, uh, but it is a great unknown. It, it'll be fascinating to see. I, I, I think it's uh, when, not if, he gets a, a bigger job. I'm not even sure it'll be power five. I mean, if, if Seth Latrell looks like he's going to save his job this year, but if that one opened up, I thought North. Yeah, Texas I know a lot of people like, talk that one. Yep. The perfect job for Dion. You know, the, next step. Dallas, yeah. next step. Then you go to the SEC or wherever. Uh, but but look, it's fascinating. We're, we're, we've devoted a lot of oxygen to this topic, and I think it's for a good reason. If, if it were to happen, they'd become center stage of the college football world, at least for the first couple of years that he's there. Um, and I'm not against that option. I just think everything we just said about Lane Kiffin, it wouldn't say too good to be true, but but like is it, pretty much a perfect fit mm-hmm. for this program and what it needs right now. Okay, so let's steer away from Auburn and go to the Big 12 because that was the other little bit of news that on a Sunday, you know, <laughs> leaks. Uh, though John O'Ran with the uh, Sports Business Journal and Michael Smith there do an amazing job on this stuff. They've been on top of this stuff all the way, and we've just been, we being like everybody else on this side of it, have just been sort of following uh, those guys and, and confirming their stories, which we all ended up doing. But the Big 12 has a new TV deal. It will be official. It might be a couple of weeks, actually, before yeah. this thing is official and signed. Um, you know, it was only a year and a half ago, maybe a little, actually less than a year and a half ago, maybe 14, 15 months ago, that we were all wondering, like, oh, is this it for the Big 12? And credit Bob Bowlesby for quickly bringing in some new teams to provide some stability and credit now his successor, Brett, Yormark for, you know, basically again, coming in saying, I want to work with ESPN and Fox. Those are the guys we need to be with. Uh, we need to get something wrapped up here quickly because we want to move on to other things of building our conference. And we don't have, want to have this instability out there. And they got a, what looks like a pretty good deal, you know, 31 million per school over six years. That's like, you know, that's pretty solid. They didn't take a haircut. Of course, the inflation suggested the rights fees were going to go up. So we, we can get into what, you know, what they could have had with Texas and Oklahoma. It doesn't really matter, but like they did okay. And it looks like the conference has some stability now going forward. Yeah, it, it was incredibly quick work by Brett Yormark. I know you're, you're, you know, we're both of us are a little bit familiar with him through our New York ties, but uh, certainly when, when he got hired, when, when that news broke this summer, it was a bit of a head scratcher just from the standpoint of he hasn't really worked in college athletics. He's been in the Northeast his whole time. The Big 12 looked, I wouldn't say left for dead, but it looked like it was on very shaky ground. How's this going to work out? And um, he came out firing from the get-go, from the open for business comment to saying we got to get younger and, and more hip. And then, you know, within, I think, of his first couple weeks on the job, uh, opens up the negotiation window by, by almost two years with, with, with Fox and uh, ESPN. He essentially 
skipped the line ahead of the Pac-12, which was due up first to renew its rights deals. And look, time will tell uh, who ends up getting more financially, right? The Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma or the Pac-12 without UCLA and USC. Uh, but, but I do think it, it was a, a, a strong first move to essentially stabilize matters within your own conference, not even three full months onto the job. And you mentioned Bob Bowlesby. During that, that hearing um, that produced plenty of viral clips back in the summer of 2021, where pretty much everyone from the Big 12 and, say, Texas got up and, and talked about why uh, this is such a bad idea, why, why Texas and Oklahoma can't leave, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Bob Bowlesby essentially said during that point, our, our media rights is going to be significantly uh, less valuable without Texas Oklahoma. I don't remember the exact number he put Yeah, I thought he might have said 50% of the value is derived by Texas and Oklahoma. Again, we're not factoring inflation here, but they're getting, what, 28 right now? They're going to go to about close to 32 on average. Um with this new deal with, you know, so more I, teams, but, I but, will, but, but I will say that I will say this, Matt, I, I do think that some people heard that and thought they're going to get 50% less than what they got. And I never really thought of it from that perspective. Projection wise. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought it, what, what they were saying was they were going to get 50% of what the future value would have been gotcha. if Texas and Oklahoma were in there. Um, nonetheless, uh, this, that, that, listen, the bigger issue is they're still way behind the big 12, excuse me, the big 10 in the, in the SEC, Sure. but, but everybody, everybody's sort of fighting for third place here. And it looks like if the PAC 12 plays its cards, you know, well, the ACC PAC 12 and big 12 will all be in sort of the same ballpark here. Here's of course, the thing that everybody wants to know is a, everybody who I've talked to. And again, listen, I'm not as well sourced up in this, in this field as a guy like Orand. Um, but everybody I talked to seems to think that the PAC 12 will end up somewhere in the ballpark sure. of what the big 12 just got. Which, of course, lends to the idea that like, why would you leave the Pac-12 to just go to the Big 12 and have to play West Virginia and UCF just to get about the same amount of money? My sense of this, and it has been for a while, is that there will be a little bit of a calm now. The Pac-12 will stay together, that the networks didn't necessarily want a 22-team Big 12, Pac-12 you know, conglomeration. Um, but I will say this, it does getting a head start on the stability, I think, does at least give your mark the ability to go to those Pac-12 schools, maybe the Four Corners. Arizona seems to be, hey, you know, we play really good basketball here. Maybe this is a bigger, bigger better fit for you. I think it at least gives your mark the, the upper hand and the Big 12 the upper hand if they want to pitch those Pac-12 schools on trying something different. Yeah, I, I think I never really understood the attraction really from either side, right? Like, why would any of those Pac-12 schools want to go to the Big 12? Why would any of those Big 12 schools want to go to the Pac-12? I get why both commissioners would put that out there uh, because you were in essentially kill or be killed moment um, in the immediate aftermath of, of those schools, USC and UCLA, leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 10. Everything was on shaky ground. I get it. Um I'm sure me and you have spoken about this before off there, but I find it fascinating um, the makeup of the commissioner's rooms now with, with all that turnover over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about the Pac-12 and Big 12, we're talking about the two newest Power 5 commissioners, um, one of whom 
basically ran a casino, right? It was the president of sports and entertainment at MGM Grand. Right. Uh, the other of whom was a, a music agent. Um, <laughs> two completely different non-traditional college football backgrounds, uh, both basically coming in within a year of each other and butting heads and taking shots at each other publicly immediately. Made for great theater. I don't think much ultimately came of it. But, but it definitely made things a little bit more exciting and showed just how different this sport is than it was even five years ago from a leadership standpoint. Uh, the, the Pac-12 media part for me will be fascinating in the sense of um, where do they end up, right? Like I, I'd be surprised if they had the same deal they have now as far as partners. Um, you keep seeing these reports about Apple and Amazon and some of these other non-traditional media, uh, TV uh, stations or, or, or subscription services trying to get involved with college sports. I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out because, you know, for, for whatever you want to say about the Pac-12, um, they usually are the smartest people in the ro- room from a leadership standpoint. Not always, uh, maybe sometimes for, too smart for their own good, um, but, but when it comes to being innovative and, and doing things differently, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious and fascinated to see what they ultimately come up with here. And the, the Big 12's contract is two years out, and, uh, and, and so it ends up being a six-year – it was a six-year extension, right? So it runs through 2030, the 2030-31 season. Um, you know, frankly, if I'm – another reason why if I'm a Pac-12 school, I'm not necessarily dying to jump to the Big 12. And, again, we keep going back to this, even though I don't think it's likely. I think fans, fans are anticipating something like this happening. Or maybe hoping for something like this to happen just to sort of be able to plant their flag and say, we won. You know, we won that conference war. But I also think that, like, I could see the the Pac-12 doing maybe even a shorter term deal, four or five, maybe it's six, but you don't have the two years that's still in effect. And in some way, that could be even more attractive to a Pac-12 school, i.e. Oregon or Washington, who are thinking, Oh, we're right. just waiting for the next invite from the Big Ten, right? Like, yeah. like I think you want to be short-term and nimble right now if you're those schools. And if the Big Ten doesn't want us now, maybe four years from now they want us. So, yeah, we'll do a f- nice short-term deal with the Pac-12 for now. And we'd rather be looking at 28-29 as our, when our free agency comes around than those couple of extra years that we would have to sign up for if we go to the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, it'll start a year earlier. And I think John Aaron this morning in his newsletter made, it, made the point of ESPN is not paying the Big 12 more than they're paying the ACC. And that was pretty much understood from the get-go. For as much as we're praising the Big 12 for getting this done and praising them for getting more money, um, you know, not factoring inflation than they had when Oklahoma and Texas were on board, uh, we spent a lot of time knocking the ACC for their finances, and yet they're still ahead of where the Big 12 is after their new deal. But uh, I think the ultimate kind of um, negative mark for the ACC is the length of that deal. Yeah, they're and still dealing with deal, too much, yeah. Too- this Big 12 deal will expire way before that ACC current deal expires, and therefore we'll be able to go back to the negotiating table and get more money. Which and that's be- what the Pac-12 so we- is thinking too, yeah. And I can't even begin to imagine – how much these rights will be worth in 2030, seeing what they're going for right now. Yeah, and what the landscape looks like, and again, right. what the what the Big Ten decides it wants to do next. It looks like it's been it's been held at bay as far as growing uh, more so here. But my sense, it, listen, I, I 
the future is seems to be pretty obvious. I think we're going to have more consolidation and, and things along those lines. It just might not be right now as much as some people would like to hit the fast forward button and just simply get there. Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester. Gapping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions tech is always at my fingertips. You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit Regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank member FDIC, equal housing lender. Penn State. So I was just there uh, at Happy Valley, and they played a game that they often play against Ohio State, which is pretty competitive, though I would say a little more competitive this year than maybe even the last couple. There's a couple of years, last few, where you found yourself thinking, like, Ohio State's got this thing under control, sure. but they're just they're a little sloppy here. The, the, the long arc of this is Penn State beats Ohio State. When the on the block field goal, Penn State has two games in which they probably should have beat Ohio State. They mm-hmm. blow big leads. I mean, they really looked like equals those years, or 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 pretty close to be equals those years. Then you get into this last little stretch of, well, Penn State's hanging around, but they're not really. You can tell that which is the right. better team here. And then this past weekend, Penn State leads in the fourth quarter, and you're thinking like, oh, I'm thinking like, wow, they like I don't think they're going to win this game. But they might win this game. Like they're not just hanging around, like because of a couple of things that Ohio State has done wrong. And then, of course, Ohio State explodes for twenty-eight points in six minutes, and we're back to where we have been a lot at Penn State, which is, I just my sense of it is that there these fans and the supporters of the program are like, we're back to having this conversation of why we're not elite under James Franklin. And we're behind Ohio State and also behind Michigan now, which is another different dynamic because for a few years, they were sort of going back and forth with Michigan. Right. Right. And even last year, Michigan makes the playoff, but Ohio, but Penn State, you know, has a late lead in that game. So it's a weird purgatory that Penn State is in where they don't seem like they're going to be particularly happy with 10 wins. Um. But like it could certainly be a lot worse, and you saw it the last couple of years. Like I don't, I don't know what to make of this program, and 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 why James Franklin. Frankly, you know, I almost wonder find myself thinking like James, why would you sign that contract? Not because he's doing a bad job, because I wonder if he's happy with this. Frankly, yeah. And so it's a pretty fascinating discussion. Um, when when he signed that deal last year, it was a 10 years, I think, upwards of $85 million, yeah, if I'm not yeah, about that. mistaken. Yeah. Um, got a lot of attention. Some good, some bad. And my my reaction to that was essentially, whatever you think of this deal, whatever your opinion of this deal is, it's right. And I say that because um, he got that deal amid a two-year stretch of 11 and 11. Mm-hmm. 500 football, thoroughly mediocre. And he got it after not really being shy at all about potentially taking his services elsewhere. It never, like, never came out and said that, but I remember there was one day last year where he got asked about openings and he kind of, you know, talked around it. And that was the same day Mike Tomlin got asked about USC and Mike Tomlin gave like the all time, like I ain't going anywhere statement. Yeah. And it was like, yep, yeah, that's how you do it. If you're not going anywhere. Um, so he, he looked bad in that regard. His team hasn't played well, didn't play well in 2020 and 2021. Um, it was a big deal. It was a long deal. 
and um, you know they 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 just weren't winning a lot of football. Now at the same the same vein, Mel Tucker's getting more money than he is, and mm-hmm. was getting more money than he was after what one and a half years Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So viewed through the context of the market, that's where I come around and say, hey. You know, this isn't the worst deal in the world. I wouldn't even say it's a bad deal. It's kind of just the way of the college football world right now. Like if Mel Tucker's worth ninety-five million, James Franklin's probably worth more. But you know, eighty-five, no one's going to shed a tear for him. Right. It, it, it's then you get to this year, and to your point, I you know, every time you lose one of these games, Ohio State now the record comes up. Was a one A or whatever it is, just that one win. And look, it's not good. And I just think, you know, there there were those games on the margins in 17-18 that they blew significant late leads that they should have had. And again, we could play the what-if game all we want with anything in this sport, but you're talking about a three-year stretch where you beat Ohio State three years in a row, and you're talking about a three-and-six record no, instead it's, of it's a completely three-and-five going into this year. Yeah, yeah. The narrative is completely different. It's kind of like Harbaugh with Ohio State before last year with the 16 game. Like, if he won that game and, and they marked the guy right or whatever – we're talking about him differently. So I get all of that. Um, I will say, like, I thought that program was down and out before O'Brien got there. And when he left, I thought it was going to be a massive rebuild. And James Franklin won a Big Ten title there in three years. And he did it with one arm t- tied behind his back and without a whole lot of internal support. I mean, in the middle of that Rose Bowl season, Sandy Barber had to come out and give a public statement of support, which is pretty troubling after two over 500 seasons, again, with severe sanctions um, holding him back. Um, I think he's recruited at the level where you create higher expectations for that program and expect to see more on the field than you've seen so far. That being said, Penn State could very easily go 10 or 11 and 2 this year with the New Year's Six Day Bowl win, with their only losses coming to Michigan and Ohio State teams that are probably going to be undefeated come their, their regular season finale. I, I don't know if Penn State fans want to hear this, and I understand if they don't, but like, I don't know if you have a whole lot to complain about if that's the case. Certainly, you want to aim higher. But again, if all of these programs are operating at their peak and Ohio State and Michigan are damn near close to it right now, if they're not there already, Penn State's the third best job in the Big Ten. And Right, that's the perspective, right? But of course Penn State fans don't want to hear that, but that's no, sort of I, what I, it is. It's I, like I get it, especially if you're if they all maxing out last year. Yeah. They should yeah. they, they lose a lot of games that they shouldn't lose, at least they have before this year. Um, too often you've seen one loss devolve into two. I mean, they've lost to Michigan State multiple times now. Not great Michigan State teams on the heels of close losses to Ohio State. Um, so I think that that's had the cumulative effect, and that's not anything Penn State fans want to happen. Um, but again, well, I, I, what, what, I go back and forth with this. I mean, look, they're the way they lost to Michigan, I think, sticks in people's sure, minds, right? Sure. Like, that was a program loss. It wasn't, hey – they made a few plays better than us. They were at home. They're a little bit more talented. It was Michigan is going to bully you like you're the JV to their varsity. Yeah, it and, was startling, and it made you sort of reassess everything you're doing, right? Like, what are we the, do? The what are we doing wrong here? Is Michigan kind of got good out of nowhere, right? Not good, but like really good out of nowhere. Like they were. We're, like, we're only two years removed from Harbaugh taking a pay cut. Yes, and like I thought they should have fired him to be honest, and obviously I was wrong. But like I just I, I did not see this path back for Michigan and obviously they've proven me and, and most people wrong and they're they're humming on all cylinders right now but I think of James Franklin in his mind built this program with Ohio State in the mind and if you look at the the roster 
and the way they run an offense and the way they, they run their program day to day, it's not Ohio State, but it resembles Ohio State, right? It's like Ohio State light. And we've seen that on the field. They play them better than they play Michigan, at least when Michigan's at its peak. So I think Michigan coming in here and, and, and reminding everyone of what they can be when they're operating um, as efficiently as they are has certainly been a glass of cold water to the face of Penn State fans. Because, again, Ohio State it's Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten, right? Those are the two teams mm-hmm. nationally you're talking about more than Penn State. And that's the way it's been the last two years with the way those two teams have played. Penn State goes 11-2 and two this year with those being their only two losses. I, I, I don't know how upset – I hate to tell people how they should feel because that's no one's job. If they're upset, they're upset. Um, but like that, after a two-year stretch of an 11-11 football team, to win 11 games this year alone I think would be pretty impressive. Now, they also have a new athletic director in there in Patrick Kraft, a guy with a football – a Big Ten football background who is probably rattled some cages there as far as the way he wants to do things and, and wants to advance the program. Yeah. And not to take away from previous regimes there, but it's probably much more of an ally of James Franklin. Than, that, than that's what he thinks. I think that's what James thinks too. Yeah. But, but I think he, like, I think Pat Kraft is about winning football games and mm-hmm. going to do whatever it takes to win football games within mm-hmm. the rules. I, I don't know if that might like, I'm not blaming anyone, right? Like because of everything that happened there 11 years ago, like there was very much a tread lightly yeah, yeah. attitude there. And I, I never want to say anyone's past what happened because it was terrible, but there's certainly a, a, a different mindset here, especially when you look at all the money coming in through the big 10 and you, you look at the way some of their other sports are performing. I just think there's a, a new refreshed mindset. We're in an NIL era right now. Penn state was woefully behind uh, for a while there. And I think they're, they're taking the necessary steps to, to, to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So I think there's a, a positive upward trajectory for this program in an alignment there that probably didn't exist before. But part of it, too, you know this as well as I do. Like I, I have a pretty good personal relationship with him. I get along with him just fine. Um, James Franklin just, just is not a sympathetic character. Every time he, he gets he in front of the mic, yeah. he's complaining he, about something. And after nine years, you know, people just don't want to hear that. And that's part of it, too. Right. Listen, we talked about with Gus Malzahn and like how Auburn parted ways with him. And you know, that's the SEC is a little different down there. And um, but there was also that feeling of like, I know the next hire might not be any better than Gus, but maybe it was just time. It was just sort of time. You know, like these jobs are hard. And I think people get tired of looking at the same guy all the time unless he's winning championships any year, every year. So I think there's this is this could be said throughout a lot of college football right. that maybe that these are 10 year jobs. And even if you do them really well for 10 years, at that point, we're tired of you. You're tired of us. Maybe you should go somewhere else. But that's not the situation, at least contractually with Penn State. Right. <laughs> so so the one thing that's a little more X's and O's or on the field with Penn State is this idea that where they are now is okay, we have four games left. They should win all it's Indiana, Rutgers, um Maryland and Michigan, Michigan State. State. So you know, listen, Maryland and Michigan State are not gimmies, but it's also sort of goes back to this idea of the of like, well, we're not going to be satisfied with 10 and 2. But damn it, don't lose one of those games either, because then we'll be really unsatisfied. So that's an odd place to be in. And they're also talking about, okay, what are we going to do with Drew Aller? Like, should we start working him in a little more? These are bad teams. We should be able to do both, right? We should be able to, again, I think that gets a little overrated. 
Justin Fields wasn't worked in and he became the starter at Ohio State and became a star immediately. Like he had his red shirt year. Bryce Young had a red shirt year and became a star. Like, so I don't know if you necessarily need to work the guy in. Well, I mean, Sean Clifford isn't Mac Jones or Dwayne Haskins. So I think I think the situations are a little bit different in that regard. Totally, totally understandable. Yes. And that's the other point of it too. Like again, I talk about a guy like, hey, you've been here a while. We like what you've done, but I think it's time to move on. Like I think that there's a, a yeah. there's a sense of like, man, like, yeah. yeah, like we're just done with you and you're probably done with us here. Like I think that's where the Penn State fan base is with Sean Clifford, who of course, in the most Sean Clifford game, set the Penn State record for all-time touchdown passes while turning the ball over four times so uh, like I don't I just don't know where they are there it's just such a again it's it's a weird purgatory of nobody seems to be satisfied but yet they're they're not in the weeds like they have a chance to actually like you need to go I, I actually think you need to go 10 and 2 this year you need to set the mark of the last two years were an anomaly pandemic and injuries this is what we are at 10 and two. You may right. not like 10 and two. It might not be enough for you, but at 10 and two as our base, that means there's a year where we, if we have the right quarterback and if things break our way, we are able to win the big 10 championship. Now we're in the ballpark here, even though it's frustrating that we haven't broken through. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think internally they think they're a lot closer than than, than the outside world thinks. And look, every coaching staff is going to going to tell you that. But I, I I think it's genuine coming from them. I think. Look, I was really high on these guys coming out of 2019, going into 2020, and obviously 2020 was you know it happened. Like, I'm not, what does the world listen? It was a pandemic, of course. But like, what does well, the world look like if Mike, Micah Parsons played his last year at well, Penn State? I'll, I'll do you one better. What does the world look? What was the college football world look like if the refs? Rule properly rule Michael Penix down and Penn State wins <laughs> that opener. Right, like they went zero and five that year because I I would venture to guess most people were were, were half assing it. Right, it's twenty twenty. Like that, that whole season just didn't yeah. really. A lot of people didn't care. A lot of people quit, which is fine. I'm not saying that critically. Like it was just an anomaly. And last year they're five and zero. They're going to beat Iowa and Clifford gets hurt. And I think if Clifford doesn't get hurt, we're talking about this team in last season in a completely different context. Now, do they win eleven games? Probably not. But, you know, I, I, I just think it got out of control for them and had a snowball effect last year. Because, again, they were a top, what, number four, number three going yeah, into that a top Iowa game? five matchup going uh, into the Iowa it, game. And, and they had Iowa – they were in pretty good shape to beat Iowa. It, it, as much as we – you know, everyone knocks Clifford. And I get it. There is a fatigue factor there. The guy's 24 years old. He's been there forever. You know what you're getting out of him. If he wins a New York Six game this year, that's two New York Six wins in a four-year span, which is not too bad. If you're a college quarterback, a Big Ten quarterback, uh, they do not. I was at the opener. They do not win that Purdue game without Sean Clifford. Um, I think there are moments when you're in uh, tense road environments uh, where, like, you just can't have a true freshman starter come in. Like, he just doesn't know what he's doing yet mm-hmm. in, in that regard. Like, there was not a doubt in my mind that when they got that ball back against Purdue, which again failed to run out the clock and probably should have won that game beforehand. There's no doubt in my mind Sean Clifford is going to make them pay. Like, there wasn't like, oh, no, he's going to screw up here. He's not going to meet the moment. It's like, no, you're giving this guy one too many shots. He's going to make you pay. They're going to win. And, and another perfect example, right, much like the Iowa game last year, they lose the Purdue opener this year. Who the hell knows what happens to these guys when they're operating under that dark cloud of, hey, you just went 11-11 and you just blew a winnable game on the road to a team you should have beat. Um, so if I told you last week, 
they were going to lose a turnover margin for nothing to Ohio State, I would guess that game's probably 55 nothing, right? Like it, it, that game did not make sense for a number of different reasons. I know everyone was upset it wasn't a night game because that, that home field advantage, particularly at night, is a real thing. Yeah, um, the crowd was pretty good happen. on the day game, though. They were pretty. Oh, they were it, pretty it, it was. It looked yeah. good, but I mean, look, the, the, that whiteout is real. I mean, they beat these guys in sixteen. They should have beat them in fourteen, which, as we all know, was a team that ended up winning the national title. And they should have beat them in eighteen, and they beat them in 05, too. Like, and again, Ohio State's always the more talented team when these two play. I think the, the great equalizer is that nighttime crowd environment and look they brought it obviously uh, on saturday for a noon game um uh, but you know penn state if it, 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 you were there i mean they made some some touchdown play passes that that didn't really make sense uh and then they had some turnovers that didn't really make sense and they all kind of evened out at the end there what should have happened ended up happening but it was a fun wild game that to your point with nine minutes left you can easily talk yourself into thinking penn state's going to pull the upset here yeah it's a it's a weird spot, Penn State fans. I, I I'm not we're not trying to necessarily make you feel as Matt said. We're not here to tell you how you should feel, um, but it I, it's 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 probably not as bad as you feel. That whatever it is you're feeling, if you're feeling bad, I think the reality is it probably isn't as bad as you feel. Matt, well, let, I, oh, let, I, okay, well, let me just let me this. just add yeah. to that real quick, just just because we're we're keeping it within the Big Ten here. Kirk Ferentz is, is credited with the, the, the quote, and maybe this is this is really something probably Big Ten fans don't want to hear right now, given how his team's been this year. But Kirk Ferentz always calls it the 10-year rule, right? Like, your fan base likes you 10% less every single year. And the hope <laughs> is, once you make it past year 10, if you're still there, your clock restarts all over again. I, I don't think that part is true, but... He's still there, and he's still employed to tell about it. So, well, if Drew Aller is as good as his ceiling, maybe that's what gets. <laughs> maybe that's where uh, everybody falls in love with James Franklin again. Um, let's preview the weekend. Uh, the way we do it around here is we pick our five most intriguing games. I have a feeling Matt and I probably have the same. A lot of the same games. We sort of count them down, Matt. So if you I hope I hope if you haven't put them in order, just quickly put them in order. Okay. I'm going to tell you number. I'm going to say go to you with number five because you're the guest, so you get to start. So what's your fifth most intriguing game of the weekend here? Uh, my fifth most intriguing game of the weekend is Texas at Kansas State. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have a feeling we're going to have a, all a lot of the same ones because that's on it's my funny. list. It's funny. I wrote down five and I wrote down two honorable mentions. So maybe we could, if we have time, we, okay. we can get to those after. But uh, Texas Kansas State for five. Um, Jorge Dream Martinez, right? Like you finally find a coaching staff that you seem to, to meld with well. You're playing great. You've got this great team. Uh, you get hurt, and Will Howard looks like the second coming of, of <laughs> I guess, Lou Gehrig, right? If we're going to talk about well, yeah, Wally Pippen. Colin Klein, here. right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Michael Bishop. Not, I mean, that was the or, most uh, shocking result of the season last week. Not that they won, but that they won 48 nothing against the number three yeah, offense. Yeah, something was going on with game. Oklahoma State. I mean, they've been really banged up. After the game, Gundy mentioned something about doing something in practice that maybe like, maybe they held back a little bit in practice because they've been su- super banged up. I-, I mean, like, there's a level of competence that you see out of Gundy's programs that especially in that league where the teams are relatively equal. So anyway, I don't want to get too stuck on that, but something was going on with that game. Oh, I'm sure that, yeah. that's the only ro- logical explanation, but yeah. we certainly didn't weren't apprised of that beforehand and yeah. did not expect And it was that and and, and I also don't want to take credit away from Kansas State sure. cuz Clemens done a great job there and to do it with a backup quarterback, you know, that's a pretty net, that's a pretty salty defense and they they've obviously got a pretty good plan on offense. Absolutely. So, I mean, seeing what happens with the quarterback situation there will be interesting. And, and look, Texas, 
Texas is favored. Vegas loves Texas. <laughs> yes. I kind of get it. Like we've seen them it. at their peak. They're really good and really talented. I mean, if they finish the job against Oklahoma State last week and they won out, I thought that would have been a fascinating uh, test case for the committee because we're talking about a Big 12 champion, 11 and 2 Texas team. Um, whose two losses were without their starting quarterback, one of which was on a last-second field goal to Alabama. Mm. But we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian is not exactly the greatest coach when it comes to close games. I believe his record's 5-5, five and five and he's blown quite a few big leads here, particularly last week, two weeks ago against Oklahoma State. So uh, the, Texas is certainly not back, but th- they are really talented and capable and they are a team that you've got to keep your eyes on every week. Yeah, there there are some twists and turns, I think, available in the Big 12 still to come. My number five, and we'll go through mine quickly, is Liberty against Arkansas. Ooh. Only because, listen, you freeze. This is, listen, I don't know if you freeze needs to do anything else to prove that he can coach in the SEC because he sure. has coached in the SEC and done well in the SEC. Uh, you know, Liberty plays a very manageable schedule, and they've done a very nice job after Malik Willis to still be good. Uh, so I want to give them a lot of credit for being back in the rankings. But listen, Arkansas is a different type of animal. Arkansas has had just the the toughest schedule this yeah, year. Yeah, really. I, like, I don't know if that was Hunter Juracek's doing or if he inherited some of those games. But man, like Arkansas's non-conference schedule going BYU, yeah. Cincinnati, and Liberty. It was and who's I and of course then Petrino, who gives him a scare. Oh, that's like right, yeah. Two or three. Um, regardless, um, interested just to see. Like, listen li- again. Liberty's had a good year. This is probably a level of big boy football that they're not ready for at Liberty. Um, but nonetheless, interested to see how it works out and if Liberty can stay in the rankings. My guess is Arkansas, you know, you know, does its Arkansas thing and puts Liberty, you know, you know, and and, and hands Liberty a loss. I, I'm with you. I, I overlooked that game, so apologies to oh, fans that's... of both teams. I, like, I believe Liberty's, what, they've only lost one game, right? Yeah, and it was one-pointer to Wake. It was to Wake where I did, I think they went for two on the yes. game-tying touchdown. So – you don't think about it week to week, but you look up at that body of work, especially like you said, with all the personnel losses from last year. And it's like, man, like say what you want about Hugh Freeze. That guy can coach football and he's <laughs> yeah. got a damn good team. Yeah. A little different animal going against Wake and going against yeah. Arkansas as far as like stylistically that probably sure. doesn't match up well for Liberty. Okay. What's your number four? Number four. Um, I'm shocked. We haven't talked about this um, at all yet. I've got Michigan State at Illinois. I, I just think Michigan State, the entire world's going to be looking at them the rest of the season. That's a good don't point. Know, That's a good point. Don't know who's going to be playing for these guys. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, you, uh, my wife went to Michigan State vet school and she's far more of a basketball person than a football person. But They, they all are after this week. The season starts next week. But, but she, yeah, had, she, she had an interesting <laughs> question and it was essentially – how did how did the coach let this happen? And she yeah. didn't mean like, well, he he needs to be there. But her and I think it's a fair question. Like, isn't the coach responsible for like having his their team, his players understand that uh-huh. this is not acceptable? And to which I said, listen, you know, it's an intense rivalry. Your Michigan State really embraces this like idea that they are sort of spat upon by Michigan, and I think that's always been a good edge for them to keep. Sure. So I don't want to necess- and, and you know he's only been there for a couple of years, and there's not a lot of history that shows that he's running a rogue organization there. So I want to give him a little credit, but I think it was a fair question for my wife, who again is just as a proud Michigan State alum, to say like, 
How did we let that happen? No, it's a fair question. It's a question I think a lot of people are going to be asking for for the rest of the season, right? I mean, he didn't say much post-game, and there's only so much he could have said in the moment, but I thought he should have at least addressed it somewhat, especially when uh, a couple rooms over, Ward Manuel and Jim Harbaugh are raising hell, rightfully so, I might add. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm sure we'll have some uh, personnel info before the game as far as who else is going to be suspended for how long what kind of fines, what kind of potential criminal charges are, are coming. Um, this was not a very good football team before this. They were three and five. I think they have just one win over a power five team this year. Uh, the Wisconsin uh, game went double overtime, which they should have closed out in regulation. Um, they're probably not going to go to a bowl game this year. This We talk about money and contract. This is a guy who signed a $95 million contract last year. And when, when you have that deal, uh, like the old Jerry Jones saying goes, the higher you climb up the flagpole, the more you're behind shows. And, and everyone's the spotlight is bigger. And to your wife's point, and I think it's a fair question, uh, again, not that you need to be there to physically break it up, but uh, people see that image of your program. And this wasn't like one rogue guy who got in a fight with one guy. It was a group of a lot of guys, and it was violent. It was worse than it looked on camera. I can tell you that much. I was there. And the there was – Again, as far as I could see, there wasn't a single individual saying trying to stop it or trying to help the guy. You know what I mean? Like, so again, this isn't one bad apple. And when it's not one bad apple and when all of that's caught on camera uh, at a moment like that, there are questions, fair or not. And, and it's up to Mel Tucker, Michigan State over the length of time to prove that that they, they are running a clean shop here and that they know what they're doing. And again, time will tell, but it's not a pleasant situation for them. Yeah, and you know, just to, for the game on the field, listen, Illinois is very good and much better than we thought. Uh, my guess is they will do what they have done to most of their opponents, which is completely suck the life out of them. But you're right. I think the more interesting thing is sort of just simply Michigan State being in the spotlight. Um, who's going to play and how this thing – like they, they again, I'm glad you brought them up because I should have brought them up as a topic. You know, it's just a week after what what happened with that program, there's going to be a lot more, you know, especially with the police involved. You know, one of the things right. I told my wife is that I understand Harbaugh's crazy. So, of course, Harbaugh is going to demand charges. But I also would imagine, and you hear me out on this, Matt, and tell me if I'm wrong. As much as Ward Manuel was probably livid, like over, like just blowing up livid, and other people at Michigan were, pro- were rightfully livid at what happened, I also would imagine that if you are Ward Manuel and other Michigan officials, you are saying to yourselves, do we really want people arrested on that other team? Uh I think so. I mean, really, because yeah, I would think I, mean, I would think and if, I'm, if I'm Kevin Warren, I may be stepping in and saying, listen, like, uh, like I'm I, I'm maybe that's not even the point, because if I think if you're the Big Ten in some of those schools, maybe you're thinking like, listen, like it was a fight. It was bad. There have to be repercussions. But do we really want people like hauling our kids off in handcuffs? I don't know if I don't think it's going to get to that, but I'm being hyperbolic there. But let me just finish the one thought, Matt, and that sure. is like when. Like that doesn't matter now. Like even if cooler heads prevail, and maybe the two schools and the leadership come together and say, "Hey, listen, we there needs to be repercussions. There needs to be um, some type of discipline." But maybe we don't necessarily need the law involved. That doesn't matter now right. because there's video and the cops are involved, and they don't and they don't need your go ahead to do to press charges. 
not, not only that, Tom Mars is involved. And, yeah, and Tom, Mars that. Is, Tom Mars is involved, and we've all seen his statements out there. This guy is not going to settle for anything. And when one of your players uh, retains him as an attorney, and who knows, maybe he went through Michigan's channels to say, who should I get as my attorney? And they went to Tom Mars because this is a guy who's obviously very connected. Sure, sure. The, the Shea world. Patterson thing. Started I, I don't think you can – like I, I, I just think if you're Jim Harbaugh or Manuel, anyone representing University of Michigan right now, you've got to a thousand percent support your player right now. Um, no you know, doubt. You, yes, you, I, I hear you. I hear you. You're entrusting your parent. Their parents are entrusting you with their care. Their yeah, yeah, care, I got it. I and got they it. were physically harmed in a very ugly way for yeah. the nation to see. And as Harbaugh said, I don't think he was being, you know, Jim Harbaugh, just buffoonery exaggeration here. He said it was a traumatic episode, and these guys are going to fit feel long-term effects from this psychologically. And I thought it was interesting after the game, um, to your other point, Harbaugh's a little crazy. He's a little out there. He's different. He's very rah-rah. Um, there was none of that post-game. It was very like, what the hell just happened? Like, yeah, no, I hear you. And you were there, so you got a better idea of it. I, I just Well, he, he just went through everything. It got to the point where, all right, I'm done talking about this. I'll answer football questions. Does anyone have any? And I think Larry Lage, your colleague at the AP, said, like, this is a football question, but I, I'm curious if you're able to celebrate this very big win for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Or if all that was taken away. And he said, yeah, we're celebrating. And he didn't sound like he was happy at all. And then he went on another tangent about how everything that just yeah. happened was, was yeah. terrible and there needed to be consequences. So, I, I you know, I, I, there are moments in this sport particularly where something gets spotted on social media or someone says something and we all overreact to it. Uh, I don't think there's any overreaction to this one. It was it was worse than it looked. Yeah, and maybe it could have actually been even worse if you know. It, oh, it could have been. That's a the thing. That's, that's, that's the actually part. the other part of it too. In some ways, they, these kids, at Michigan State, may have been lucky that it ended the way it did. Um, all right, let's recalibrate back to the games, and, and we're going to go through them fairly quick because we've kept you a long time here, Matt. Um, so my number four is Clemson, North uh, Notre Dame, only because I think. Matt, man, I I don't trust no- Clemson. I don't really t- totally trust Clemson. Neither is Vegas. <laughs> and Notre Dame, right, and, and Vegas tends to know these things. So, you know, we don't have to get too deep into the game here, but I, I just wonder if Clemson's going to find a loss and maybe this is the time. Now, I will say this, Notre Dame seems to find things and then they go back home and lose them sure. again. So I don't know if there's something going on where these guys are getting a little bit flustered at home. Um, but I think that's one to keep an eye on because I feel like Clemson is a team that will find a loss. But I, so it's hard my, to find it on their schedule. It doesn't. There's not right. an obvious one on their schedule. But that's what happens, right? There's going to be a couple of upsets down the stretch here, and I wonder if Clemson might run into one this week. So I completely agree with you with everything you just said. That, that's my number three game. So it's a nice segue. Um, my colleague Pete Sampson, a frequent guest of your show. Uh, as have you been on ours, uh, had a, a fun gambling note. Uh, the last time a top five, Clemson's a four-point favorite. Vegas has been down on them all year. Uh, the last time a top five team was a four-point favorite or less I against an unranked this. opponent, mm-hmm. Michigan State last year at Purdue, and they ended up losing. Uh, not saying that's going to happen, but I, I can I can talk myself into an Notre Dame win or a close game for all the reasons you just mentioned. And then I look at the matchup, and it, you know we look at Notre Dame's strength, the offensive line going up against that, that Clemson defensive line. And Notre Dame's going to have to make pat- plays for the pass game, and they're going to have to come up with some timely turnovers. And that's asking a lot of a team that hasn't shown a whole lot 
this season. But I'm with you. I think Clemson's been playing with fire a little bit too much. Eventually, they're going to get burnt. I just don't know where and when that happens, especially coming off a of bye week uh, yeah, this past week as well. That's a good point. All right, my number three was also Texas Kansas State. So okay, I think we both have the same one or two. I don't two and one. Yeah, yeah, two and one. You know, so my order is Bama, LSU, UT, um, Georgia. I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's just talk about these two games. Let's let's start with Alabama, LSU. I don't think LSU is ready for this. As much as I think Kelly's done a nice job. And they they look like they're ready to have a very nice first season, considering where the roster was. This seems like a big ask to match up against Alabama. Uh, I completely agree with you. Um, the, I think the fact that we're even like we're hyping this game up as our number two after like this off season and after some of the stuff we saw from LSU early on in the season is a testament to just how quickly Brian Kelly's gotten things at least move it in the right direction there um, because we're talking about this game and we're not talking about it as an Alabama 40-point bludgeoning, which it could be. Um, I will say, like, Alabama on the road has become kind of a thing, though, right? Like, Bryce Young on the road last year was not good. Um, and Well, he's been yeah. good this year. That Everybody around him has been bad. Well, but la- last, last year <laughs> yes, he struggled. True. His team struggled. This year he single-handedly won the Texas game, but they won that by one. He pretty much single-handedly kept them in the Tennessee game, which they ended up losing. And then they, they beat Arkansas thoroughly on the road. But I do think like the Alabama road thing has become a thing. And they're going into maybe the toughest road environment in all of college football. Uh, I did, you know, the, the one – Brian Kelly tries to be funny a lot, as you know. It doesn't always land. Uh, but he did open up his press conference Monday by wishing Nick Saban a happy birthday and hoping it would uh, soften him up before the game. I thought that was a nice touch and, and kind of funny, at least by Brian Kelly standards. Um but, you know, Brian Kelly's faced Nick Saban quite a few times before, and it hasn't always gone his way. I don't know why it would go differently this time around, but it's Death Valley. It's at night. Um, it's the undercard of the SEC this yeah. weekend, but it's still a pretty compelling undercard. Yeah, the the very the one uh, quick X's and O's part of this is um, uh, against Ole Miss, LSU suddenly was able to stop the run. They haven't really done that very well all year. My sense is they, that you'll get a lot of Jameer Gibbs in this game, but last week they managed to figure it. A couple of weeks ago, they managed to figure out run defense against Ole Miss, and if they can do it against Alabama, maybe that keeps them in. All right, the the the, the main event is Georgia and Tennessee. The magic carpet ride. I, I I have one of my bosses is a Georgia fan, and he said they are all terrified because it just feels like this team is, you know, sort of on one of these like LSU 2019 rides. Uh, I think it sort of just comes down to can Georgia be the team that finally figures out a way to keep Tennessee from having wide open guys running downfield. It, it's incredible. They just like credit the Heupel and and their and their personnel, but they always have guys running open downfield. So maybe can Georgia be the team to stop it? Yeah, I mean it, it's. Um, are you going to this game? By the way, I, I will not. I will. I will be. Uh, I will be watching them both from afar. Okay. Um, so it's, it's number one versus number two and a half, I guess you'd say in, in your AP poll, because George, uh, Tennessee is tied with Ohio state. Yes. We'll see whether it's officially number one versus two based on the cultural playoff selection committee's rankings. And, and then we can officially give a game of the century type hype. Right. Um, I'm surprised the line is as big as it is. Although I think, you know, we're holding Georgia probably to a higher standard because they're the defending national champions. I mean, they've, they've looked pretty damn good this year. Yeah. Other I mean, than, that, other than one game against Missouri. I mean, I think they've been on point. And I mean, they're like, they beat Oregon. 
they beat Oregon team that might make the playoff by 46 <laughs> points. Like right. I know Oregon now is not what Oregon was in week one in their first game under a new head coach, but that will age better and better throughout the course of the season. They beat South Carolina on the road by 41. This is a damn good football team, but so is Tennessee. And it's very much a strength for strength game, right? We all know about Georgia's defense. We all know about Tennessee's offense. I think a stat that'll surprise a lot of people. Georgia's the number two offense in the country. Um, when they're going, they're going. They're they're good. They've just they they turn the ball over way too much. They've gotten sloppy. Um, they need to be on their p's and q's because they they haven't been just, as explosive as maybe they would like to be. They're a little right. more efficient than explosive. They because they're not getting a ton out of their outside receivers, but. I mean, they got two tight ends who are just like different levels of freak, like, you know, right. in Bowers and the, the house that, you know, the, the running refrigerator that is Darnell Washington. So, I, yeah, they got a lot of answers. Here's my question. It's a close game. Does the others have a way into the playoff? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, anything moderately close, the loser at 11-1 and one sitting there absolutely has a path, into, especially if it's Tennessee. Especially if it's Tennessee, with it's the with the win I, under its belt, that, Alabama. Everyone's saying that, especially because they're on the road. But I mean, I think the equalizer when you're talking about like teams on the fringes is non-conference, and Georgia loses a close one at home, and that's their only loss. Yeah, and, and they've got that Oregon. Yeah. Yes, exactly. As so, the trump I, card. I, I don't. I don't know, but. I mean, we're usually having this conversation about two SEC West teams. Yes. Now we're having about two SEC East teams. If Bama gets a rematch with Tennessee and it goes the other way, who knows what the hell is going to happen. Although I think if Tennessee wins this one, they're in the playoff no matter what because they're not going to lose another regular season game. And as we saw last year, even if they lose the SEC title game at 12-1, and they will be in there. Right. Okay, and that's a great uh, way to end the podcast and also say, folks, that we are recording this before the rankings tonight. I, we just did not. I just did not feel the need to wait for them. We all have a pretty good idea of how they're going to lay out, give or take a place or two. And frankly – the game, the Tennessee Georgia game, will 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 decide that debate. However, they come out this week or uh, tonight on the ranking show, the two teams are going to play. So we'll figure that one out, and we're going to figure exactly. out Michigan, Ohio State down the road. So that's why we didn't talk about the playoff rankings until now. Matt Fortuna, so much appreciate your time. I took a lot of it, but we covered a lot of ground and got a lot of good stuff out of you. Love the sweatshirt. Matt's got a Fordham sweatshirt from Homefield Apparel. Homefield is not a sponsor here, so but but I love them and I love their products and we love them. We love the guys who run the the joint there. So a, a pop, a, a, an unsolicited pop for Homefield, especially that very sharp Fordham sweatshirt that Matt's got working. Well. Ralph, thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation. You shout out your wife is Michigan State grad. My wife's a Fordham grad, so I figured I got to rep her on here as well. And you, of course. And now three and out. First down. The Heisman race really cranks up now that we've hit November. Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker enters the last month of the season as the favorite with an opportunity to really pull away if he plays well in a win, maybe even in a loss, but especially in a win against Georgia, setting up another big stage game in the SEC championship, maybe a rematch with Alabama. Whether we like it or not, and just a reminder, I don't vote, how the top players perform in their biggest games generally determines who wins the Heisman, and it helps if those big games are late in the season. 
I know Ohio State fans are not thrilled to hear that, that Hooker is ahead of C.J. Stroud, who has overall better numbers, but the Buckeyes' schedule has just not created many spotlight games for him so far. The Michigan game and the Big Ten Championship will be those platforms. Alabama's Bryce Young still has plenty of opportunity over the next month if the tide reaches the SEC championship game. Maybe he can make it two in a row as far as Heisman's. Now, maybe I'm being short-sighted, but I really do think, even with a lot of games left to be played and some interesting storylines, rivalries, championships, and whatnot, I think the winner of the Heisman is going to come from those three quarterbacks, Hooker, Young, Stroud. The Pac-12 quarterbacks, who kind of are in the running, Caleb Williams of USC and Oregon's Bo Nix, I think will make a strong run at being finalists. I could maybe see Max Duggan of TCU in there, too, if he keeps it up. A Michigan Big Ten championship probably gets Blake Corum a trip to New York, though I just don't see a running back winning the award these days unless he's pushing 2,000 yards, and at present time, Corum is unlikely to get there. There could be some twists and turns along the way, but I do think it all revolves around those three QBs, as we said, Hooker, Stroud, Young. And the only way someone else breaks in is if those guys fall off. Second down. I mentioned this when we talked about Texas and Kansas State with Matt, but I think the Big 12 has a couple of plot twists still to come. Here's what I mean. Unbeaten TCU is first in the standings. K-State is second with one loss. Those two have already played each other. Next is Oklahoma State. You can probably forget the Cowboys who have already lost to TCU and Kansas State. But then comes Baylor and Texas, both with two losses. Both of those teams still have to play TCU and Kansas State. And the Longhorns and Bears both still play each other to finish the regular season. TCU and Kansas State are very much in control here. Without question, they have a game and or, or two lead for their positions right now. But I'm telling you, I still think there's a pretty decent chance that neither of those teams end up playing in the Big 12 title. Third down. An intriguing game that didn't make the cut, but I'm looking forward to is Friday night, late night, when number 24 Oregon State plays at Washington. The Beavers and Huskies are the next two teams in what has become a four-team race at the top of the Pac-12. Both still have to play Oregon. But the winner of Friday night's game is in pretty decent shape, no guarantee, but pretty decent shape, to reach 9-3 and three on the season. That would be a really nice year, one, for Washington under Coach Kalen DeBoer. And it would be the first nine-win season since 2012 for Oregon State. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. The AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.